I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Welcome to Jetpacks are overrated. Welcome to another Jetpacks are overrated. I'm Seamus Byrne. The US Open is underway in New York, and on the surface, that doesn't seem like a Jetpacks kind of topic to cover. But I've been working with IBM recently on a few projects, and the idea came up to do a sponsored episode digging into their work on keeping the digital wheels turning behind the scenes at major sporting events all around the world. So today I'm speaking with Dane Gambrell. He's the Tech Media and Entertainment Integrated Accounts Manager for Global Markets at IBM to learn more about everything from the raw engineering that they're doing to the Watson Artificial Intelligence that is now being put to work to deliver the US Open to the world this year. With no live crowds, there's a lot more reason than usual to ensure that the event is not just broadcast, but that it does actually offer new kinds of interactivity for fans to feel as close to that action as possible while we can't be there together. We look at the new interactive options that are being explored. We look at how Watson AI is actually helping to refine the crowd atmos effects to keep that hype high without making it feel too weird while they do that. And also how some work from past years has actually helped to prepare for this year without realizing that that would actually have been an added benefit. We kick it off when I ask Dane to start with the basics. When we see that IBM logo on sporting events, how much deeper does it go than just being some kind of brand partnership? Yeah, that's a common question we get asked all the time when the logo pops up on the broadcast or some of the digital properties. But I guess uh, IBM's been very involved in sports for decades, in fact, and, and really in the early part of uh, our involvement was helping sports sort of embrace the internet, really digitise and uh, improve the global reach of, of their events over time. But, uh, yeah, it's often uh, something you will see with other organisations, it's, okay, an event's on, what technology can we showcase? But for things like the US Open to 29-year history of, of partnership, it's always been, my view, customer-led innovation that has been enabled by technology. So it's 
really with the US Open as a partner, as a customer, what, what are the big things that they need to achieve uh, for the tournament year on year? What are the problems that they need to overcome? And, and certainly this day and age and in the context of now, certainly problems to overcome and, and new challenges, but uh, it's always with that lens of innovation that we sort of uh, look to see what it is we can do with and for them. I mean, how much data actually needs to fly around an event like this? Yeah, we, I mean, ultimately it's it's tennis. What we're watching is an incredibly analog, traditional experience, um, but I guess it's partly the way we watch it. But I'm sure there's also... You know, when we think about, I guess, everything from scorekeeping to, uh, you know, the communication behind the scenes between sort of their teams, like what are the, all the different or, you know, I guess some of the key aspects of of that tech behind the scenes that IBM helps to run? Yeah, I, I think uh, your first point around data. So data comes in many forms in many different volumes um, with, with the tournaments such as tennis is the video that is broadcast, that is converted into live and on-demand digital video experiences. But I guess uh, when it comes to the US Open, around 2011, we really started to reimagine, well, with all this data that we have, what if we were able to apply data and AI um, sort of technologies over the top of that to give new sort of insights, not just to the players and the talent and the commentators, but actually put those insights in the hands of sports fans in the hands of tennis fans. So some of the technologies that we've built on over the years are things such as key to the match, which is, okay, you've got player A and player B. What is the three KPIs or performance indicators that player A needs to execute on in order to be successful with that particular match? So it's it's building on data and now uh, with artificial intelligence, it brings all sorts of new possibilities. Um, And for this year's tournament, yeah, we're very, very excited that um, a lot of natural language understanding technology is now embedded in fan experiences, which we can talk about, of course. Yeah, cool. Um, And, yeah, it's funny, I I kind of, while you were explaining that, it started to hit me that, you know, again, when when we're watching a broadcast, that now there's so many visualizations that they'll have for things like, you know, where the shots are landing on the court, like that there's all these kinds of monitoring systems taking place that, you know, means it's there's a lot more going on than just who scored the last point, but it's every other aspect of exactly how they're placing their shots and the success rate of different placement of shots and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff is able to be tra- tracked now, um, which, you know, I'm sure... You just can't even compare, you know, old school tennis players to the modern players on that statistical level because there's so many new ways that they've come up with to track uh, exactly how different people perform. Yeah, and and hopefully, uh, you know, these new technologies and the digitization of data and visuals actually improve the game itself um, by way of um, calls being made and those sorts of things. But yeah, I guess with uh, the USTA and, and many of the tennis tournaments that IBM's involved with over the years, it's it's really about also how can we put this sort of data, these visualizations in the hands of customers so that customers being fans, being sponsors, um, can actually uh, choose their own adventure of how they want to consume the tennis event. And, uh, you know, it's been really interesting, uh, some of the customer research we've done over the years, um, 
you know, done a lot of research around what are the demographics of a sports fan and, uh, you know, sort of four pillars to it. There are those that uh, are only in it for the social engagement, so community and being able to interact with other fans is important to them. There's those that are happy for that linear experience, that experience you get from a broadcast point of view, but, um, you know, want it on demand, want it to be able to be consumed on any device. But uh, I guess it's the next two tiers that are very interesting to us and, and where a lot of innovation has really come. It is the fans that want that commentary-based insight. They want to be an expert themselves. They want to immerse themselves in the data, not just before a match takes place, but as a match is progressing. Mm-hmm. And then we're sort of seeing this new demographic emerging of those that actually want to interact. They want to participate as the game is happening. And that's creating all sorts of new experiences for fans um, as we are doing with the US Open this year. And cool. So, you know, let's talk a bit more about that because I guess compared to, you know, like, you know, we all know that I guess broadcast is sort of where most people will see an an event. Um, But, you know, particularly this year in that feeling that, you know, I guess Arthur Ashe Stadium won't be full in the same way that it has been in the past. So (laughs) it really puts more of that emphasis on how do we, you know, keep people excited and engaged beyond uh, what they might be experiencing if they, you know, lucky enough to have tickets to the event. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, June 17 was a, a very big day for the USTA and IBM and, and a lot of other partners in, in the ecosystem. It was the day in which it was decided that for the first time, the US Open would be spectatorless. Okay, so... How do you now pivot? How do you now reimagine and recreate um, a, a tournament that does not have fans in it? And so a lot of the thinking behind uh, what it is we would do in the 75 days or the 12 weeks leading up to right now is, well, how can we still give fans that experience where they can interact with one another on their love and passion for tennis? How is it that we can still give them you know, real deep insights, but taking that to new levels. And, and how is it that we can improve the engagement of the sport as they're consuming, um, I guess, the broadcasts and the on-demand and video highlights? So one of the first, um, I guess, technologies we created for this year was um, open questions with Watson Discovery. And that is all about really uh, the heart of it, facilitating debate, debate amongst tennis fans. And uh, what we've done is, is uh, used a lot of the Watson technology to go and explore unstructured data of blogs, of tennis websites, news outlets, even the US Open's own digital archives to sort of formulate a pros and cons argument around key questions such as, is Roger Federer the best ever men's tennis player? You know, these are sort of the conversations that fans would actually naturally have. Yeah as they participate in the game. And uh, it's not just pre-canned, you know, with these news outlets and archives coming up with a pros and cons analysis. We actually give fans the opportunity to not just vote yes or no, but but give context as to why they're voting yes or no. And out of um, that, together with all the articles that we've analysed, provide a structured debate, provide a pros and cons on why Roger is or isn't the best men's tennis player. So that's a really exciting technology that's just been put in the hands of fans and not 
last 48 hours since the tournament's been on. And I don't know, Seamus, have you had an opportunity to have a go of that yet? Are you a tennis fan? Um, I I am one of those fly-by-night tennis fans that turns up for the finals and I totally get into it for the finals, but then I'm like, you know, and I'll just kind of, you know, monitor things as it progresses. Um, so I haven't had a play with that yet, but it's like, what, like, what is it trying to pull out of those conversations? Is it, is it kind of picking up on keywords that people are writing in? Because I love that idea that it's not just the classic, you know, well, here's, you know, here's some bars kind of sliding backwards and forwards on the screen that are just percentages, but actually giving people more of a, a chance to express something about that idea. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, all about, okay, these open questions, you know, how do they give fans a way to engage remotely in, in this iconic event? And, and this event's the biggest event, I think, that has happened since March. And and the world had changed. But um, really some of the key technologies behind it is uh, a lot of the Watson natural language processing technology. Uh, there's technology from IBM Research, uh, so IBM um, uh, Showcase Project Debater, uh, latter part of last year, and, and really being able to analyse millions and millions of documents and news feeds and other sports sources for insight to to then come up with these hypotheses uh, and these pros and cons. And it's uh, yeah, not, okay. ne- not necessarily about a right or wrong, but just facilitating debate. We as humans love debate. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. The dinner table during the, the broadcast or even at the actual stadium itself. So, yeah, it's very good technology. Uh, but, uh, yeah, early days and, and we'll see how it evolves. Mm. And then, look, I see that uh, amongst some of, some of the other ideas I'm seeing is uh, like a match insights type system from Watson Discovery. So, like, what kinds of ideas might behind uh, might be behind that sort of match insights system? Yeah, so it's it's again using uh, some of the technology that we just spoke about, uh, and I think you know uh, technology is great when it can be repurposed and, and repeated. It's when you really get scale. But match insights with Watson Discovery sort of, again, is, is really about empowering fans to become experts about players, about the tournament, about the matchups up and coming, uh, ahead of each match, in fact. And, uh, again, it uses natural language processing technology to search and understand millions of articles, blogs, what a thought leader is saying leading into a match, to then gather the most relevant information and then out of those statistics, actually creating a narrative out of it as well. So it's relatable sort of data that we can consume uh, to get fact-based insights and players ahead of match play. Yeah, nice. And look, I, there's probably an interesting nerdy bit to touch on here, which is that whole idea of dealing with unstructured data because um, I, I hear it kind of come up more and more in a lot of IT discussions in general. Um, and I guess you know, trying to just get an AI system like Watson to be able to just sort of go, all right, there's a big pile of data floating around out there. Um, how do we sort of find something useful that's lurking inside that? Um, I mean, is is this kind of one of those key areas that it feels like that's the strength of AI in the modern environment? Um, or, you know, are there uh, other parts of, of, you know, dealing with unstructured data that sort of apply in different ways? Like, what are your thoughts around that sort of big picture on unstructured data? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's 80% of the world's data is unstructured and um, it's data typically that isn't in a database um, 
and um, a lot of it is is videos, it's images, it's it's the way in which we're naturally talking right now. Mm. Uh, so it's it's how do you and and the whole purpose behind I guess um, Watson and, and IBM AI is about uh, augmentation. So actually helping clients make better decisions, helping clients uh, get faster access to insights, more accurate access to insights um, for any organisation. So uh, certainly unstructured data in, in the way we've modelled it here for tennis, it's all around making sure you're pointing it to the right data sources. Um, you know, uh, it's all about making sure you have the right architecture to support that. You know, there's a saying that there's no AI without IA, i.e. there's no artificial intelligence without a correct information architecture. And that's all about sources. It's all about the process, the workflows. Uh, but, yeah, certainly natural language is, is one of the, the greatest, um, I guess, pulls of the market when it comes to uh, what's in at the moment. You know, another um, pretty simple application of it uh, is um, the questions that you can ask on the US Open website right now uh, in a virtual agent that has been created. So, you know, this morning I uh, wasn't watching the broadcast, but I was able to type a question in my language to this virtual agent uh, asking, when is Alex D playing? Now, I said D because I didn't quite remember how to spell demeanour, uh, but it was to me quite amazing that the uh, virtual agent trained by Watson and, and humans uh, was able to, yes, this is Alex Demeanor, and he's playing at this time at this place. And, uh, yeah, so there's so many uh, applications uh, from a Q&A and virtual agent perspective as well. Actually, that's a really great point because, again, I know the number of times where particularly for sporting events, right, sort of wanting to just dig one piece of information out of the schedule and, uh, you know, needing to sort of scroll around a big, uh, you know, sort of scheduling board or something when I'm not quite sure what I'm looking for. Um, yeah, being able to just type in something like that is actually a really handy way to find out just that one thing really quickly. That's, yeah, that's really great. Yeah, absolutely. And it comes back to the point, you know, you need an information architecture um, with the right, right data sources sort of integrated in so that uh, you can give fans for, for simple questions like that of, of schedules or schools, um, you know, being able to give that answer in, in the expectation we would typically have if we were talking to someone, whether it be a call centre agent. We expect, uh, you know, as fans, we are... Um, Sort of, I would say, the, the hardest customers to deal with. We're fanatical <laughs> yep. and uh, we, we want information in the moment. It's all about that real-time engagement. And so, yeah, it's been really great to, to help power those experiences for the US Open. And, like, fans deeply parochial. They will let you know <laughs> if they could not find the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Um, look, the I think the, there's a third part of this new experience list I'm looking at that I'm interested in. AI sounds, is that sort of helping out with some of the whole how do we keep the atmosphere feeling right? Is that the idea there? Yeah, it is. I mean, um, and again, it, it builds on um, so, some innovation that uh, we, we put in place for the US Open last year uh, also has been applied to Wimbledon, which was around AI highlights. So being able to enable the digital and editorial teams of the USTA to actually compile highlight clips that would drive the most engagement. And so uh, last year's um, highlight clipping uh, solution and technology, we uh, listened to the noise of the crowd to determine the excitement score of that particular, I guess, clip or that particular play. And it was... um, through uh, doing acoustic analytics and, and another AI technology that uh, we actually had a digital impression of the noise of the crowd and we're able to understand, well, how is that noise used in the context of a certain play or a certain shot? And it's that sort of concept that has led to the AI sounds this year. We've got uh, the highlights, we've got the noise crowds. How is it that we could apply um, sort of a stadia sound even though there's no fans, I guess, in the stadium. So it really draws upon that technology. But, again, I I sort of think of, so what does this mean for organisations? What did this mean for business? Um, And I think of, you know, infrastructure-intense organisations that have a lot of manufacturing and a lot of equipment. And there's a lot of IoT use cases where we apply that similar technology of, of analytics and a drawing out uh, acoustics, what does a normal sound sound like for this machine? Or what does it sound like for this equipment? Uh, Are the decibels higher? Are they 5% higher? Well, if it's 5% higher against the normal, um, that could be a problem, for example. So a lot of applications around acoustics. And this was, I think, something that is now in the hands of the digital team of the US Open and the broadcast partners to use as they wish. So yeah, that's really cool. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? It's like the it's like the return of the foley artist from the old days of, uh, or yeah, the laugh track back in the old days of sitcoms. Now yes. with with sport, it's like you know, there's such a subtlety there where you know I think I know we all kind of felt a bit jarred by it when it first started to come in in the football and things here in Australia, and but then. Yeah, then you sort of realize, well, it would seem weird if there was nothing there, and it does feel like you know everyone's just sort of kept tweaking that sense of what's what's a little bit to kind of help with that feeling of excitement without mm. over egging it, so that people don't notice that it's it feels wrong because nobody is there. Um, it's a fascinating thing, and it does again. I really quite like that idea that you know you've almost learned from last year's highlight system. Not not even, yeah, you would never think, what if in future we now need to actually use 
what we learned because of the old audio to now how do we replace audio now that it's missing? That's it's an interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, yeah, you raise a key point uh, around learn and we're still learning in this space, the art and science of it all. And, uh, you know, I've consumed sporting experiences where perhaps it's gone a little over the top. But I, I think, uh, you know, as, as fans, we, we, we did some uh, research uh, for the US Open, uh, USTA leading up to, okay, what did we do uh, in a 12-week window? Um, it's got to be guided by customers. And 48% actually said that they wanted a more interactive digital experience. And I think something like AI from a sound and acoustic point of view, uh, we're certainly measuring, is, is it going to be effective? Is this part of what customers want? But it's the ongoing pursuit of learning. Uh, so, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how it plays out. Mm. Um, so, look, are there any other, you know, because I do love random stat dumps. So, um, you know, are there any other kind of cool numbers floating around in terms of, you know, how much data has to be managed over the course of an event like this or any other sort of um, clever numbers that you have floating around? Because I do, I'm, I'm a sucker for numbers. Oh, look, yeah, there'll be petabytes of, of video generated. Um, obviously, every match and the higher definitions and uh, the, the higher volumes um, that, that come through from a um, data and analytics standpoint, uh, you know, I believe we're now sifting through 40 million different data points uh, to determine the keys to the match uh, as part of the IBM Slam Tracker capability for the US Open. And uh, when it comes to, I think, one of the first sort of enablers we spoke about, open questions, being able to facilitate debate, you know, the first pass of that process is actually scanning the unstructured data of 14 million articles and blogs. So, you know, we're not just talking about 100, 200 blogs or articles, 14 million. So I think that's a pretty fair enough sample size to, to be able to generate good pros and cons debate. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm sure more data will come over time as to, you know, fans weighing into to those sort of questions and, and those sort of debate uh, uh, processes. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's really, really uh, a lot of data, mm. I guess I would conclude. Yeah. Um, so look, uh, I know, like, clearly IBM doesn't just do the tennis. Like, are there, you know, can you flag some of the other kind of major events that I guess you, you know, apply this sort of tech to around, you know, the typical year or other big things out on the horizon that um, some of this goes into? Because then I, I want to sort of finish by talking about, I guess, the the awesome humans who hide behind, you know, the, the technology out there. But, uh, you know, what are some of those other kind of big things that all of this sort of work gets applied to? Yeah, well, the, the, the great thing about um, sports, I guess, is um, and it, I, I often look at it as the birthplace of innovation right? because of that real-time, in-the-moment consumption model and because the customers are typically some of the most demanding customers uh, of any demographic, uh, such as fans. Um, but what, I, what we do notice is, is that with every tournament, whether it's the tennis, um, there's always a building process. We're, we're always looking to stand on the shoulders of the tournament that happened previously. And there's a really healthy uh, sort of co-opetition. Um, the US Masters, the golf, uh, is another fantastic event that we uh, continue to partner with. Um, highlight uh, clipping uh, is, is certainly uh, something that we do for them. 
um, not just taking in the noise of the crowd, but also the body language of the golf player to, again, derive an excitement score. Um, really, um, a, a lot of the other innovation has been around um, really giving clients the ability to choose their own adventure as they consume these digital properties, whether it be web, mobile, uh, or any other form of digital application. Um, certainly, uh, you know, my involvement, I, I started with IBM uh, in the Sydney 2000 Olympic Games as an IT and data quality control analyst. And just to see it evolve since even 2000 as to the experiences we get as fans now has been quite remarkable. Um, you know, I think um, other applications I've seen with data and AI technology has been uh, injury prevention and injury analytics to help sporting teams um, really um, understand uh, how likely are their talent or their players to be injured based on, you know, 90 to 100 different data feeds that are coming in. Wow, that's um, valuable, yeah. Often. Yeah, and, and, you know, little things like um, being able to pick up all player A, why we've noticed that you're trading 5% less on your right heel compared to yesterday. So sometimes... You know, the talent don't even know that something might be up. But yeah. That's what data is telling us. So it's about going in and exploring that and then conditioning training accordingly and then uh, potentially even guiding match play uh, sort of duration as well. So, so many uh, things we're involved with still in the sports ecosystem. And, of course, there's a lot of what we do for sports from core infrastructure, from a cloud capability, being able to give clients the ability to uh, reach audiences globally and, and use these new sort of uh, advanced technologies, emerging technologies to enhance fan experiences. That's cool. And look, I have just realized that we might have been very close to working together on the Sydney 2000 Games because I was <laughs> I was uh, a final year in my digital media course and uh, I there was the IBM uh, was looking for people in you know at the universities to come and help out and a bunch of my friends did I managed to get a job working with NBC in their uh, oh, media wow. team but um, yeah I remembered at the time being like oh because I think I'd missed the application window for the IBM gigs and was like oh damn and but managed to get another cool. Uh, final year uni gig working at the at the games anyway, but I do really remember that. Uh, yep, IBM did a whole bunch of stuff <laughs> uh, right yeah. back there in Sydney. Yeah, no, it was, it was a fantastic time. Uh, but uh, yeah, the best is yet to come. I hope. <laughs> All right, it's yeah. funny what we thought was high tech then is <laughs> very old to add in so many ways. <laughs> oh, that's right, and and I, I don't think we can underestimate. There's just still a lot that goes on into you know making sure that the scoreboarding systems work accurately and and how the you know scores and stats are distributed across the ecosystem from the digital websites, the broadcasters to affiliates and partners. So there's still amazing to me even now how that happens in in real time. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, this last decade, I think there's been a massive step change in terms of how data and in terms of how AI are really uh, now enriching the fan and the player experience for everyone's benefit. Mm. So I guess, yeah, I wanted to sort of finish up with a bit of a shout out to the actual, you know, the engineers who kind of sit behind the scenes on all this stuff, because as much as, you know, I guess we give so much credit to the AI systems themselves, I know there's probably, you know, dozens or maybe even hundreds of engineers lurking behind the scenes making sure everything works properly and 
I always love that feeling that they know they've done their job well if nobody notices they were ever there. <laughs> and and look, it's it's heroic effort. Um, you know, in, in terms of what I've noticed with, with the USTA and the IBM partnership and the ecosystem surrounding, I mean, they face challenges like every organisation is facing right now. Everyone's had to learn how to pivot to do their job working from home to be remote. And when it comes to the production, the digital teams, powering the US Open, even the statisticians, the statisticians are doing their job from their home offices in places like Jacksonville. Wow. Right now today. So it is incredible to, to see the massive shift and pivot that they can not just pull this off, but, but really step change in enriching the fan experience, but being able to do that from home. And, uh, you know, I think the other other heroes in this whole equation are, are, you know, the USTA and IBM teams that took, took through a 12-week process um, pivoting from a spectator full to a spectator-less environment and uh, all in 12 weeks, um, you know, using design thinking and using garage methods to, to reimagine what it is we could do virtually uh, for the tournament uh, that's on right now. So, yeah, big shout-out to, to all the engineers for sure for making it happen. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing because I know, you know, when there were a lot of the questions around which different kinds of sports would be you know, more capable of, you know, pushing through than others, you, on one level you sort of think, well, yeah, tennis is, you know, a one-on-one or a two-on-two type of sport. But, again, there's so many of those layers of the, you know, the people around the edges of the court and right, even just, I guess, you know, ball boys and girls and men and women and it's like I'm – I haven't watched it yet. I'm not sure if the you know if there's kind of reduced numbers of those kinds of people even on the court just to try to manage this stuff better. But um, yeah, there's, there's yeah. a lot more than just the players. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely uh, only a few in the stadium. Uh, it's just uh, watching Alex Demina's match uh, just before this interview, and he won his first set. But uh, you, you can definitely hear one or two hand claps. That's about it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and certainly less less within the stadium. But yeah, it's just been amazing to see. Such, uh, it's truly the biggest sporting event since March that has decided to go ahead and to see how they've been able to do that with remote production, um, you know, using cloud technologies to enable them to continue to do what it is they're doing. It's been remarkable. And, you know, I, I maybe finish. I, I remember a story in March. I had one of uh, my IBM colleagues uh, down from the US. He had just, uh, finished um, working with Fox Sports on the 2019 FIFA World Cup. And it was quite amazing that, that the whole remit of that project was to enable remote post-production. Um, you know, they, the cost of sending a, a whole team to Russia, um, you know, the, the operational um, issues in, in doing that. And so being able to you know, engineering sort of uh, focus, um, how is it that they could use commodity internet to move 2,700 live feeds between Moscow and and their post-production facilities in Los Angeles using commodity internet networks? And so it was just fantastic uh, just last week to to hear and understand that uh, an Emmy Award had been won, technical Emmy Award had been won for that project um, which, which was really an engineering effort 
to make it all possible. And little, yeah, it's like little did they know how important that technology would be right around the corner. Yeah, I mean, and when when my colleague was here in March, um, you know, terms uh, such as lockdown weren't really in our vocabulary then, but we were starting as as we were active in the market that week, starting to realise, well, remote production isn't just a cost thing anymore. What if what if companies were forced to do it, um, and not just not just sporting events, but you know, post-production for movie creation and all those sorts of things. And it was just amazing to us that, you know, within a matter of weeks, um, this all became a reality. And it was just tremendous that the technology was there to be able to facilitate that and make that happen. Yeah, that's incredible. Mm. Look, um, thank you so much for your time. Are there any other kind of cool things that uh, people should keep in mind or any last thoughts? Yeah, I would just suggest even if you're not a tennis fan, um, you know, I always think about, well, you know, all these innovations with sport, what, what does this mean to me? What does this mean to organisations in Australia? And I think just consuming, immersing yourself in in the app experience and the digital experience uh, might even give you some ideas as to what you can apply to your business in relation to some of the AI technology and the cloud technology that we've spoken about. But, uh, yeah, there's, uh, I think, what, four or five Australian players left. So go Team Australia. We're all cheering from, for you remotely. And, uh, yeah, really appreciate your time, Seamus. Yeah, no, you're very welcome. And, look, I think it's a great point about um, yeah, the the nature of, yeah, like, yeah, the way you can learn lessons from this stuff. I know sort of that idea of... Um, Chatbots is one of those areas that I think there's a, a lot of bad ones out there, and and when you know when you can see a good experience, and the fact that it's not actually, you know, it's not only the domain of big companies to actually be able to access some of this tech now. So you know that being able to apply that to even you know relatively small businesses um, is actually possible instead of needing to kind of work with just you know what are now becoming very dated old school chatbots as well. Yeah, and, and, and uh, just last point, I, I think the benefit is uh, through cloud and through microservices and APIs, this technology has never been more accessible. So a lot of the technology we spoke about is um, some of it is applications, uh, but a lot of it is, is APIs and microservices coming together to, to really solve a customer problem. So, so engineers... Uh, customers can, can get started right now with this sort of technology, and um, uh, maybe because you love stats, famous um, yeah. one of one of the greatest pools of the market we've seen with March is is uh, people consuming companies consuming what's an APIs that relate to chatbot. And in fact, it's gone up fifty two percent since March. Um, you know, to be able to power things like developing chatbots and virtual agents. So it's uh, really something that uh, is accessible now and that I think everyone should think about, not just to solve the problems of, of customer service capacity that might have diminished, but well, how can you actually use that to automate customer interactions, to be able to give them answers to questions they have, um, not just from a service point of view, but also sales and those sort of things. So, uh, yeah, um, a lot of the Watson APIs are available on the IBM Cloud and um, yeah, encourage people to, to go and check them out. 
Thanks again to Dane Gambrell from IBM for that really fun and insightful chat. And thanks to IBM for sponsoring this episode of Jetpacks Are Overrated. Right now, all sponsorships are actually going toward an initiative to create opportunities for more Australian writers to gain paid experience working with Byteside to cover tech, games, and digital culture. I'm excited to try to add a rung or two to that ladder of opportunity that has been missing in the journalism industry lately, so I'm really thankful to the companies who sponsor the Byteside Network and help me to bring that effort to life. I'm Seamus Byrne. This has been Jetpacks Are Overrated, part of the Byteside Podcast Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.